of Thinking Like a Lawyer. I'm Joe Patrice from Above the Law. I'm joined by Chris Williams, and we're here to talk about the, you know, like we usually do, the big legal stories of the week. Uh, In this case, of the two weeks since we were not around for the Independence Day in the U.S. holiday. So we're back and uh, ready to go. And we'll have some small talk now, which we always introduce with a little bit of fanfare. All right. Hey, welcome back to the country. It's it's nice, you know, once the, uh, it was nice to land. That's usually the best part of coming back in the States when you're on a plane. Um, mm-hmm. I was then immediately. I mean, better than crashing. Yeah, at least in theory. Yeah. I felt so until yeah. I saw the prices and I realized it's, I wasn't ready. Uh, everything costs at least three to four times more than, yeah. you know, in respectable countries like Cambodia. It's because in those, these, uh, these shithole prices in the States. I already, I already miss, you know, not being here. But other than that, yeah. it's nice. Yeah, no. Uh, so yeah, it's uh, good to be good to be back. I, uh, I haven't left, so I don't have any problems with the prices. I know people <laughs> complain about inflation, but I also track the real numbers and see that it's mostly leveled off and stopped. Uh, so we don't really have too much bad going on on that front. But don't worry, they're more people got jobs last month, so they're going to jack up interest rates anyway because they're not going to stop until they trigger a recession. Uh, we'll see when that happens uh, how that impacts law firms, though. So, oh, one other small know. talk thing. Yeah, in the week that I've been back in the states, there have mm-hmm. been more mass shootings here than in the five months that I was in Cambodia. So it's good to know mm-hmm. that that didn't change. You know, it was a, it was a warm welcome. Yeah, that is definitely going to be the case. Yeah, bad, bad, bad news all the way around. We had some flash flooding here uh, yesterday, but seems like everything's returned to normal. But just massive amount of deluge. Yeah. Anyway, I, so. like, I like the last little the little LSAT word there, SAT word, deluge. No, yeah, very fancy. Well, yeah, no, the um, yeah, we well, just say right, shit well, ton where I'm from, but I write for a living. Actually, that was the thing. Um, <laughs> On that note, actually, I got a I got a fan letter, but with a snarky uh, aside where somebody was correcting, just was thanking me for an article, but pointing out that I used a word wrong. Mm-hmm. And I was like, yeah, I but it, what get, got me was like, you should look up the difference between these two words. And I'm like, well, I understand the difference. I'll let you I don't understand why people thought the mistake was because I didn't know the difference as opposed to. I typed it up over the course of 30 minutes because it was breaking news and I used the wrong word. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't know why people would jump to the conclusion that I must not know basic SAT words despite the fact that I, you know, have a law degree. <laughs> but listen, oh well. I, the, the, when you see the people that practice, it's hard to be surprised. Yeah. And again, I'm not like I I thought it was great that this person pointed out because we rely on that sometimes because we are churning out content so quickly that it's difficult to keep atop of the editing. It's not like writing a law firm brief where you go over it four or five times word by word to make sure everything is right before you file like this is a lot faster. So I appreciated that somebody pointed it out to me. But, you know, it's not that we don't know the words anyway. Oh, cool. Is that all? Yeah, that was that was enough small talk for me. Let's get on it. 
So let's open up with the article that had that word problem, actually. Uh, and, well, and it was part of a bunch of articles that we're writing about this subject. Uh, so let's go back to talking about Elon Musk and his Twitter misadventures. Uh, for those of you who have been following this all along, you know, this all began with his attempts to buy Twitter, which seems like a tech story, but it's really a legal story because he ended up having to buy Twitter, as we covered at the time, because he didn't listen to his own lawyers and made a bunch of incredibly stupid giveaways in the merger agreement that forced him then to go through with the deal when they sued. Uh, the most recent run of issues, though, are a couple of legal problems, which was last week, he sent a very mean spirit, his letter, uh, technically Quinn Emanuel, his attorneys, sent very mean letter to Meta, the artist formerly known as Facebook, <laughs> accusing them of stealing Twitter intellectual property in developing their new Threads app, which is being touted as a Twitter killer to the extent there is such a thing other than Musk himself. Uh, so have you, were you tracking this one? Did you have any thoughts on this? My thoughts on threads is what I think everyone's thought is there was a TikTok and it was like, find me on blue sky, find me on Mastodon, find me on threads. And it's like, I'm out of it. I'm, I can't do this anymore. I can't yeah. do this anymore. I just need, just need to find one thing and stick to it. On that note, actually on the legal tech week, Journalist Roundtable, which I'm a, a panelist on where we talk about tech stuff, we actually did talk about some some more broadly tech folks who are taking the sense that, you know, they that this whole microblogging thing is over. Uh, it worked because there was one, uh, the benefit <clears throat> of a monopoly. It worked because Twitter was the only one doing it. But now that <clears throat> it's not, it's just never going to, that community is just never going to coalesce again, which was an interesting take. Well, to that point, I mean, I... I do think it's interesting that um, as there was there was there hit a they hit a point where everything became everything. Like mm -hmm. Snapchat used to be interesting because it would have you'd have stories the last twenty four hours, and then Instagram adopted that. Um, and then Facebook used to be interesting because you could have like little posts. Well, you know, Twitter was interesting because you could have like little forty character posts. And even before Threads, Instagram had this feature where it was like a little story thing, like you could say like a short little thing. So like, I think we've already hit a phase of saturation where the really thing that's different is just like what the user interface looks like. But we've hit a point where like maybe like for a couple of years now, they've all been kind of the same thing. Mm. Well, I mean, I, I just think that it, but again, this is a field of it, but I just feel like it's the audience was the was the actual money, uh, the, the mm. user base being ubiquitous. And now that it's getting fractured into different places, it's going to be a problem. But Anyway, uh, the, to the get back to the complaint, uh, the accusation is that Facebook stole uh, IP. Uh, when you read this actual letter, though, there's not really what you would assume to see. You would assume you would see in a letter from a big law firm actually threatening a major corporation for stealing their intellectual property. There's no, but you know actual spec, you know, specificity here. Uh, it's a bunch of vague claims that. They don't think Facebook could have been, you know, a multi-billion dollar corporation would have been able to build something that allows someone to type in 140 characters without, you know, the deep, deep help of a bunch of former Twitter employees. So did Elon write it himself? Which, which of course, were all on the market because <clears throat> Elon fired everybody because he said none of them were good engineers and he didn't need any of them. So <clears throat> it's interesting that now his comeback is these 
deeply vital people to the uh, to the company's IP are now switching sides to Facebook, which of course there's no real articulation of what they would be doing wrong, even if they did go over there uh, to the extent that they stole documents or something that would be bad, but there's no real indication that they did anything like that. What they took was their talent there, but you know, there's you, California doesn't really love non-compete agreements that prevent people from performing their profession. And they really don't like non-compete agreements when you're the one firing them. Uh, so with all of that, there's not really much to suggest that this is real. Uh, I assume Facebook's lawyers laughed heartily when they received this and will soon reply with an equally snarky response, depending on who they hire. But, you know, that's that's where we are. I mean, Elon today says that he's going to he wants to have a public dick measuring contest with Mark Zuckerberg. So, you know, I guess of things that none of us want to see, this lawsuit is the better of the two, I guess. So but, is that metaphorical for the MMA fight or is this literal at this point? Because oh, no, now sure. he's gone literal because remember, literal. he wanted the he wanted the MMA fight, but his mommy wouldn't let him do it. So now he's so about it, he's trying to post meat on Maine. Yeah, I got to be honest, it, it is tough talk to be doing this after your mommy stopped you from getting in a fight. So I don't really know why his mom will see this. He, oh, I mean, yeah. Well, the, I mean, the thing is, we, we assume Zuckerberg has already seen this because, right, like it like he has yeah. access to everyone's posts. Yeah, so. It's known. It's he already known. knows. Anyway, yeah, yeah. but and he and unlike Zuckerberg, he it, it, blah, no. And unlike Musk, he uh, Zuckerberg probably does due diligence. Um, oh, wait, um, Logo. Oh, Musk Musk knows that like Photoshop exists, right? Like if if he posts any meat, even if he has gargantuan schlong, the photo yeah. edits that will come out will make this horrible for it. Like no PR team will be able to scrub this from the internet. I wonder if he saw the meta demo and thought that Zuckerberg really doesn't have any legs, that like he really <laughs> is just a floating. <laughs> I mean, maybe that's his logic. I I don't know. Mm. Anyway. So with that, we have we have this fight going on. We also have a slightly more serious fight. I shouldn't say slightly. A, a more serious, but probably not really a big deal fight. Twitter's parent company is X, of course. Uh, now that it's privately held, it is, and X is suing Wachtell. Uh, their argument being that Wachtell received $90 million as a fee at the end of the days of Twitter, because Wachtell is the firm that Twitter hired to force Musk to buy Twitter when Musk tried to, you know, ignore the contractual obligations he had put himself in by ignoring his own lawyers. Uh, right. Wachtell secured a $90 million fee for that. They are now being sued by X in California courts, arguing that that success fee should be clawed back on the grounds that the people running Twitter at that point did not have Twitter's best interests in, at heart because they knew they were all going to be fired by Musk. So, they, so somebody's trying to get money away from Wachtel. Uh, that never works, uh, but we'll see if uh, <laughs> you, you don't come between Wachtel and money in my experience. But, you know, you, you, we're talking about the most, you know, the most profitable firm by margin, you know, of the last 20, 30 years. So yeah, no major player. Yeah. 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 I mean, is, look, is this look, what, is this what, is this what Elon had in mind? He was looking for his hardcore lawyers. 
Yeah, right. Uh, so, well, I mean, he, he's hardcore lawyers. He's hired, uh, you know, it's interesting. Speaking of that, uh, for almost everything he's done for the last year, he's us- utilized Quinn Emanuel. But it is a little telling that in this case, he is not employing Quinn Emanuel. I thought that was a little weird, given their relationship. He's got uh, Reed Collins doing this. Uh, so interested to see what that means. Quinn Emanuel obviously is a litigation powerhouse and has been doing everything. So it's an interesting switch of horses midstream, especially when Quinn Emanuel was writing the nasty letters last week, but whatever. Anyway, uh, so yeah, breaking down this complaint, it's it's interesting. It seems like there was a success fee. Uh, It's unclear other than, I mean, it seems like there's a lot of hindsight being imputed here. Musk is claiming that all of these executives authorized this payment knowing they were about to be fired by him. There's no indication. It's true that he fired bunches of people, but there wasn't really an indication that they were going to be fired by that. There's not really a good reason why this fee is totally crazy. Uh, Success fees exist in this world. And in this case, this was a success fee for making the shareholders $44 billion, uh, $90 million doesn't seem like it's that crazy uh, yeah. in that context. I mean, if you think of contingency fees often being around a third of the recovery, this is uh, 0.2%. So not really all that egregious. Uh, it, it's it's going to be interesting. They They do have some claims about the propriety under California law of how success fee arrangements have to be structured uh, and that this one to the extent it didn't wasn't put in writing at the beginning of the representation shouldn't be allowed whatever uh, so there's some technical arguments that could be interesting to watch play out but yeah so Wachtel is uh, the latest person that Elon's trying to beat in court uh, given his recent track record yeah good luck I think it's the right answer there Calidus AI cleverly supports you by suggesting relevant law to address your complex issues. Put in simple questions or longer fact patterns, then Calidus asks you to confirm if points are salient before proceeding. Use Calidus to check if you found all the key concepts, cases, and statutes. Calidus turns that into a high-quality, customer-ready document. Handle complexity confidently with Legal's most advanced AI platform. Get $90 off your first two months. Use promo code Joe at CalidusAI.com. That's C-A-L-L-I-D-U-S-A-I.com. Hey, Guy, what's up? Just having some lunch, Conrad. Hey, Guy, do you see that billboard out there? Oh, you mean that guy out there in the gray suit? Yeah, the gray suit guy. Order up. There's uh, all those beautiful, rich, leather-bound books in the background. That is exactly the one. That's J.D. McGuffin at Law. He'll fight for you! I bet you he has got so many years of experience. Like decades and decades. And I bet, Guy, I bet he even went to a law school. Are you a lawyer? Do you suffer from dull marketing and a lack of positioning in a crowded legal marketplace? Sit down with Guy and Conrad for Lunch Hour Legal Marketing on the Legal Talk Network. Available wherever podcasts are found. All right, so we it's been a couple weeks now, so it, it, mercifully you might have scrubbed some of these stories from your brain, but <laughs> if you haven't, while we were gone, we weren't able to talk about the last 
the last few days of the Supreme Court term, uh, it ended, as one would expect, in a hail of rough decisions and uh, then subsequent gaslighting. But Mm -hmm. we did get at the end of the term, as expected, kind of the end of affirmative action, the end of the student loan deal. So, yeah. So let's talk about the affirmative action one first uh, here, just because I think that's that one ties to more of our stories. So the affirmative action case, uh, the conservative majority of the Supreme Court determined that affirmative action was unconstitutional in college admissions. Uh, their argument, they, they try, like courts tend to do, to claim that, oh, no, this isn't really stopping it in other contexts, but obviously we understand how incremental legislation, you know, litigation works. Uh, this right. is the first step in an ultimate delegitimizing of it across the board. Uh, With that said, as soon as it happened, you wrote a story about a move being made by a former Trump ghoul, Steve Miller, uh, uh, to to already expand this to another area of education. Right. So the the fancy name besides ghoul, the American, American First Legal, they sent out a threat of litigation to like 200 law schools in the U.S., of course. We read they sent them over to, you know, places in Britain. And they said that they had, the law schools had to immediately renounce, announce the termination of all forms of race, national origin, and sex preferences, which is weird for them to say you have to uh, renounce national origin when you're called America first. But anyway, uh, (laughs) faculty hiring and law review membership or article selection, anything that uses affirmative action for those things, in a way that was broader than what the actual opinion was. The opinion didn't make any restrictions on schools using affirmative action in article selection or law review membership. But it's one of the things where it's to be expected that if you give an inch, you know, a mile, you know, is the next thing to come to pass. And my thing is, they then go on to say that any proxy actions will also be taken to court. So if some law schools decide that they want to benefit um, applicants from a particular socioeconomic background as a proxy for race, that they will try that in court and have that be viewed as affirmative action by some other means. But the thing that I don't think that they understand is this is going to bite them by hitting their funders, children. Right? <laughs> it's going to happen because there are so many, because if, because if, if take, for example, one of the other things that's currently being litigated, affirmative action for white people, which is legacy admissions. Everyone knows that's affirmative action for white folks. Like, there was one point where, sure, take Harvard, for example. There was a point where they were taking white applicants and black applicants. But for a very long time, up to, like, say, like, 1950 or so, they were only getting, like, say, 12 black students a year. So just, like, if you look at the numbers, just the amount of people that qualify for legacy admissions are overwhelmingly white, which makes sense when you factor in, like, say, about 70% of Harvard's legacy admissions are white. So it's, it's an affirmative action program for white folks. Um, so if you want to look at this for impact, it's a it's a racial program. This this Harvard and North Carolina opinion should just as equally apply to that, you know? Right. Well, and this came up in the opinion, right? Because I, I, was it Gorsuch who like wrote a thing about that, oh, well, Harvard says that this exists, and if they got rid of legacy admissions, then this would allow... Uh, this would allow them to get back to the same diverse balance without the need for affirmative action, basically blaming legacy admissions for why Harvard had to have affirmative action, which some people are pointing to as 
proof that as an argument that conservatives would not have a problem with diversity admit in admissions if legacies went away, or at least some justices might. It was a weird inclusion because while that may be true for Harvard, it doesn't do anything for UNC, right? Like it's not mm -hmm. like state schools have these extensive uh, legacy programs that in on the order of Harvard. It really weird inclusion, but yeah, we'll see. Um, so it's very interesting take there. The other issues we had were we had um, we had a V three hundred three creative case where a company that had no business or clients or ever done anything managed to secure standing for itself uh, for the purposes of the Supreme Court striking down protections for public accommodation law, you know, public accommodation law protections. Uh, if you start a business, you're free to discriminate all you want as a person, but when you start a business open to the public, you have to abide by anti-discrimination laws. Uh, the Supreme Court struck that down, arguing that this company that had never actually been subject to any of these laws somehow got to make a court case out of it. Uh, it is bold and no real basis in that, at least anything, any case law leading up to this. Uh, but that hasn't stopped some really disingenuous actors from trying to pretend it did. Uh, I did see Ed Whelan, who's noted, who is not a very smart man, but uh, still <laughs> manages to write about law all the time anyway, because no one stops him. Uh, he was trying to argue that the comparison, make a comparison with Roe v. Wade saying, you know, she actually ended up having the baby. So, you know, standing doesn't, you know, it's the same thing, which obviously is ridiculous to the extent that- Never write know, that on the con law exam. Don't do it. Yeah. Well, or just bother to read the opinion. A large chunk of Roe v. Wade actually deals with this specific issue because they are, unlike this court, they were very concerned about the idea that they were being seen as ignoring standing and talked about how in this instance you had someone who had been pregnant and was never going to be able to get a case all the way up to the Supreme Court before, you know, they can no longer get an abortion at all. So their argument was that given that this is a situation that could be repeated but never make it to the end of the line of litigation, we will make an exception for that. That is not an exception that would exist here, right? Like this right. is a situation where she all she needs to do is find some client willing to, you know, who she objects to, and then she can be charged under it, and then she can bring her case the normal way. Now, that brings us to the next element of this that became an issue, which is it turns out that the lawyers in this case tried to create a example of her being asked by a client to do something she objected to. And the New Republic uh, did some it did some digging and called up the person whose name, address, phone number, and all are in the filings for this case and asked about when he asked for a same-sex wedding website. And it turns out that this person is a heterosexual who has been married for years and has yeah. no idea what they're talking about. So it appears yeah. as though he was, someone- He was all, today years old when he discovered that he was involved exactly. in a Supreme Court case. Yeah, exactly. <clears throat> so now the, the Supreme Court got around this by just ignoring that you needed any kind of claim, uh, any kind of case or controversy, and just issuing an advisory opinion anyway. But it does show that the lawyers involved were attempting, or at least- Someone had attempted and the lawyers did not at any point 
call this out for the court. And that's the candor part, right? Like, right. Even if they weren't involved in setting this up, at some point it came to their attention that this was an attempted fraud on the court. And they, you know, have obligations at that point to share that an attempted fraud is happening upon the court, uh, which they do not appear to have done at any juncture here. Uh, This is a fairly big deal. Uh, There are people trying to downplay it, saying, well, but the Supreme Court decided not, they didn't have to worry about that fact, which may well be true. Uh, That does not, you know, there is not really a no harm, no foul when it comes to legal ethics uh, like that. Uh, Just because the court decides not to, indulge your attempted fraud does not Mm. actually mean that you don't have problems trying to commit a fraud, you know? This may be a bit of a jump, but I wonder to what degree the actions of this court will have on, like, multi-million dollar, multi-billion dollar, like, contract disputes. Because, like, when 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 you're looking at contracts, you're like, okay, do we mediate this or do we take all the way to court? You tend to look at things like, Oh, what what are the facts? Do we do you, who has standing to sue? What have you? Like you, it assumes a norm, and like the court isn't abiding by any of that. That like they're they're just ignoring facts when it comes to like Bremerton. They're right. ignoring standing and like the things that the Constitution allows as far as like Article Three. Like how will this affect companies trying to determine what to do? Well, so now if you have a contract, like you're in a lot better shape because there's at sure, least okay. some sense that you've got something written down, mm-hmm. uh, which I mean, that's not to say that there aren't situations where you try to make arguments based on anticipatory breach or declaratory judgments, stuff like that. But sure. there's at least something uh, to guide you. But mm-hmm. you're right. Uh, the Roberts Court has spent a long time at this point, uh, nearly 20 years at this point arguing that standing was the most important thing. And people who you would normally think, and the precedent had normally said had standing, he would slam the courthouse door on the, in their faces saying, no, you actually have to have a lot more before we're even going to bother giving you access to the courts. Uh, mm. This reversal is wild. Uh, mm. It tends, it comports with a change in the politics of the court. Uh, when the court might have given these people relief. He was all about kicking things based on lack of standing. It seems as though now that the politics of the court have shifted, he's willing to go along with blowing up the standard requirements that he had pushed for so long. Uh, And you're right, the spillover effect is going to be interesting, right? Because now there's there's not really any clear check on what it takes to bring a case to the courts other than you kind of think that it might be something that a super legislature of uh, a right-wing majority super legislature might endorse. It's going to be interesting to see what comes out of this because someday the court will change, but these precedents about what amounts to standing are still going to be there. Uh, And what are we going to do uh, when that happens? Going to be very tricky and dicey because very few guards are left on the floodgates here. And and it's wild because it's not only like what standing is actually, but then also to what degree the court can interpret or add facts mm-hmm. to their liking oh, well, to right. create things. Well, right. Uh, and in this case, they didn't have to add any facts. They just ignored the one that was there uh, right. because it 
turned out not to be true at all. But you're right. Like you're you're referencing, of course, last year's Supreme Court case about school prayer, where Gorsuch was called out specifically for the fact that most of the stuff, most of the facts cited to in his majority opinion were not reflected at all in the record. And they were critical facts because they were the only justification for possibly making his opinion, but they just weren't there. They were just totally made up. So uh, real quick now, we have a little bit of bar prep news. I don't know how many of the graduated law students out there are still listening to us. Uh, They're probably (laughs) very hunkered down right now if they're in the bar prep mode, which I understand. Uh, So you may not even be hearing this, but for everyone else's benefit, it's worth just kind of tossing out there that this has happened. Uh, Themis, one of the major bar prep organizations out there, uh, has been struggling uh, over the last few months uh, with shutdowns uh, in the middle of prep. We get a lot of angry uh, examinees writing to us about it. We understand, we hear you. At first, I warned everybody, you know, it's okay, it's very early, you don't need to you don't need to stress about every single second. It's the test is two and a half months away. Don't worry about it. Uh, but now it is not two months away. Now we are <laughs> in the last couple of weeks, and we had a shutdown again last week. So this is a this is becoming a problem. You didn't ultimately, uh, but you've considered taking the bar. Like, how would this feel about you know as you were going through it? I mean. I would be, I'd be pissed. I mean, I, I mean, I would ultimately just start using like the textbooks, what have you. Like, but I'm, I feel like if I'm paying for the online service and like you know being able to procrastinate easier by opening up, opening up another tab and going on YouTube, then that's what I want. You know. <laughs> well, that has certainly been a bit of my take too, and I, I feel bad about it. But I have also, I, I agree with you. I'm kind of like. They also send you a bunch of written materials, and you also have taken notes of the lectures, theoretically. If the website's down for a few hours, you can also read those things. Uh, I don't know. Maybe it's a question of how studying works these days, whether people just don't do that anymore. I don't know. But also, I'm like, I'm like, oh, fate has given me a study break. Who am I to turn down good fortune? <laughs> I would just go catch up on Netflix. <laughs> Well, that was certainly, I mean, that that was the crux of my article back in June. Uh, I feel yeah. like I'm a lot less sympathetic to that idea now. But Fair. yeah, it's important to note that this isn't just Themis's fault. Uh, this is, uh, seems to be a problem with bar prep courses generally uh, when they happen to have too much capacity for the bandwidth. Because uh, Themis has so many customers this year, reportedly, because... Barbary had a series of these shutdowns and failures last year. And a lot of people I I see writing to us, a lot of people say they chose Themis because Barbary had so many issues last year. I guess so Kaplan's Kaplan's looking at this and is uh <laughs> that the meme of the, the yeah, hand yeah. rubbing. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I don't know. Like I feel like it's just gonna fluctuate between the three of them over and over again for a while until Everyone gets to the heart of this, but until uh, Zuckerberg comes in is. with uh, studies, in as studies, his own yeah. Thing. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, that is pretty much our time. Thanks for everyone for listening. You should be de- subscribed to the show to get new episodes when they come out. You should be writing reviews, say something, put some stars up. It always helps. Uh, you should be following folks on social media. I'm at Joseph Patrice on Twitter for to the extent that matters. I'm Joe Patrice on 
Blue Sky, I think I think I'm Joe Patrice on threads. I can't even remember. Chris is at Rights for Rent, as in he's writing uh, on Twitter. And I assume threads is, what's, what's that for you? I have to make one. Well, no, I mean, what's your Instagram, right? Like, is it tied to your Instagram? Yeah, I don't have a, I don't have a work Instagram. Uh, okay, people, okay. Don't, people don't need to be on my personal Instagram. They don't, they don't need that. I don't need that. Okay, so, yeah. So. Oh, so you need to come up with a whole separate account. Because <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, the thing. Yeah, it's yeah. all messed up. Because if you do tie it, then, yeah. Anyway. See, uh, I miss the days of having a Finsta. Oh, you know about yeah. Finsta fake Instagrams or, you know, where you keep your coworkers off it? Yeah, you know. But, you know, <laughs> threads kind of ruin that for people. So the the blog is at ATL blog on Twitter and threads, I believe. Uh, so with that, uh, all said, you should be reading above the law. So you read, hear these and other stories before they happen. You should be listening to the this show, but also the Jabot, which Catherine hosts. You should be checking out the Legal Tech Week Journalist Roundtable, which I already cited, which I'm a panelist on. You should listen to the other shows on the Legal Talk Network. And with all of that, I think now we're done. Peace. If you're a lawyer running a solo or small firm and you're looking for other lawyers to talk through issues you're currently facing in your practice, join the Unbillable Hours Community Roundtable, a free virtual event on the third Thursday of every month. Lawyers from all over the country come together and meet with me, lawyer and law firm management consultant Christopher T. Anderson, to discuss best practices on topics such as marketing, client acquisition, hiring and firing, and time management. The conversation is free to join, but requires a simple reservation. The link to RSVP can be found on the unbillable hour page at LegalTalkNetwork.com. We'll see you there.